Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Stars Daily Sports Podcast presented by Big O Tires. It's Friday, November 22nd, and I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. On today's episode, we talk sports viewing, specifically the Big 12 Now Network, which is part of the ESPN Plus streaming service. The Big 12 is part of this world, and that means watching some Kansas and Kansas State football and men's basketball games will require a monthly fee. Sports media experts believe streaming is the wave of the future, and Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby believe his league is ahead of the curve. But there are some issues to work out. It hasn't been a smooth launch, and fans continue to get used to the idea of watching their favorite teams on this platform. Later, we dive into what's in store this weekend for Missouri, Kansas State, and Kansas. All are coming off football losses. All are looking forward to men's basketball tournaments. You'll hear from the star beat writers, Soichi Tirada, Callis Robinette, and Jesse Newell. But first, let's explore Big 12 now and the streaming future. Hulu has live sports. Hulu has live sports. Fake. Saying that the game is going to get you fined. Trust me, it'll be worth it. Wherever you are, you're there. NBC Sports Live Extra. Your home for live streaming coverage of Premier League and all your favorite NBC sports. It's the price of ESPN Plus per month. $4.99 for exclusive live sports and shows. It's like... Let me think. Let's do the math real quick. It's like seven... Uh, yeah, it's like 17 cents per day. Not 19 cents in February. Bill Self wanted to scout an opponent casually watching the team from his television... There'd be a more thorough breakdown the next day, but two future opponents, Monmouth and Kansas State, were on TV that night, and Self settled in. Uh, there was a problem. I couldn't get it, so I got to figure out a way. So uh, everybody out there that's frustrated, yes, I am too, because I wanted to watch it last night. Uh, Big 12 Now is part of the ESPN Plus streaming service, available only through a monthly subscription of $4.99 or a yearly fee of $49.99. This is the first year some Big 12 games will be streamed. Streaming is an internet delivery platform through an Ethernet cord or Wi-Fi. It's not cable or network television. Streaming sports has been around for a while. Major League Baseball was a pioneer in online broadcasting. But this is the first year some Big 12 content has been available through streaming only. K-State and KU each had two football games this year that were available only through streaming over the Big 12 Now Network. The Jayhawks will have eight more and the Wildcats 13 more men's basketball games through this service. Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby said the league is following trends in viewing habits where more consumers are choosing streaming over cable or network TV. You know, the cable universe is is uh, getting smaller by about 2% a year, and um, I don't think it's ever going to go away, but it's it's going to continue to get smaller. And uh, linear consumption is going down, and, and digital consumption is rising. And so we think we're on the right side of technology. Uh, we've got a great partner in, in ESPN and Disney, and so I, I don't I, I feel very good about the move we've made, and uh, and I think you know change is hard, and people it takes a while to adapt to it. But you know, I went through the the start of the Big Twelve, Big Ten network, and the start of the Pac-12 network, and in both of them, you, we had huge carriage issues, you know, because you couldn't get cable systems to do it. And, and in the um, 
and, and of course they have to pay for it, uh, the cable systems do, but the first year of the Big Ten Network, you couldn't get Ohio State football in Central Ohio. I mean, people were livid, and you couldn't solve their problem for them. Well, anybody can get this. Now, you know, you may say, well, I don't have a smartphone, I can't get it, or I don't have an iPad, or I don't have Apple TV. But you can get all those things if you want to, and there are no impediments to watching these. And they're they're produced at a high level, and, and uh, in the case of the 10 games, they're all produced uh, and have announced teams just like ESPN uh, 1 or 2. And these are games that would have been on uh, ESPNU or ESPN News. John McGuire is a professor of sports media and multimedia journalism at Oklahoma State. He agrees with the idea that streaming is here to stay and sees its advantages. But he also sees issues that need to be addressed, and he believes we're a ways off from streaming becoming the primary platform for sports viewing. Uh, streaming is the wave of the future um, because basically it's, um, you know, you always heard people talking about the need to get a la carte choices for people. And streaming has done that, basically. It allows people to select the content they want to watch as opposed to paying one basic cable bill where they pay for a lot of channels they don't watch. Now, how fast it's going to be, that's kind of a trillion-dollar question at this point. There's a couple of hurdles. You know, you know, I've been looking at sports media over the decade. The one thing about the start of ESPN that hurt that network and other startups in the 80s was that there wasn't an infrastructure that not a lot of homes, especially in metropolitan area, had cable hookups. So that's why ESPN's growth was slow at the start. There just wasn't enough cable infrastructure in place. And I think it's the same for the Internet. You know, not a lot of homes right now have smart televisions. And then also the issue, especially in a place like Kansas, there's a lot of parts of the state that don't have quality Internet connection. They don't have the high-speed fiber optic connections that would promote a quality picture, a continual stream. There is also a cost factor to consider. My current basic cable bill is about 150 bucks a month. I think that's too much. I prefer only to pay for the channels I mostly watch. But what if the teams and the leagues and the sports I want to watch have their own streaming platforms? And then there are the movies and the other shows I want to view. Are we going to run up a monthly streaming bill that approaches or surpasses what I'm paying in cable? And keep in mind, if you follow KU and K-State on cable via streaming, you're paying for both services now, cable and streaming. And that's in addition to Netflix, Amazon Prime, etc., and I think the other thing that's happening right now is that companies like Disney, ESPN, are testing what revenue streams, what the revenue models are going to be to make the money. You know, so you know they didn't have that luxury. ESPN didn't have that luxury when it started in the 80s, but it has that luxury now. You know, their main income is not coming from streaming, but right now they're figuring out, okay, what's the economic model where they can make enough money to make this work? So there's going to be more competitors. I will tell you one thing I've learned from my students. A lot of them are beginning to get upset about the fact they find themselves having to pay a number of different services, uh, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, and they're beginning to figure out that four or five of these all added up, and you're kind of paying some serious money. Hey, but maybe you're just a sports fan in Kansas City. You like the Chiefs, the Royals, Mizzou, KUK State, Sporting KC, MIAA Football. You just limit that to sports, and the question becomes, do you want to pay separately for all of it? Down the road, we could have one streaming service that offers you all Royals content that you want from Sinclair since they bought out Fox Sports Net. Well, you pay Sinclair for the Royals content, but then there's another stream where you have to pay for the NFL and the Chiefs. So there's the second stream. And then you're KU and K-State fans, so you have to pay you the Big 12 stream. 
and then maybe not all K state and Kansas content will be on the big 12 streams. So you have to pay the individual schools for those streams and it, it's just going to start adding up. So right now, you know, I think this is kind of in a shakedown cruise. And like I said, I think the next round of contracts that are going to come up here in a few years, I think you're going to see business pretty much stay as is. You're going to see more streaming rights, more con- content getting out there. But I think in the 2030s, when we've developed enough infrastructure, when uh, more people have smart TVs in their home, and I remain convinced of this. I mean, people over 50, they don't want to watch on a three-inch screen. They can't read the graphics. They want right. to see it on their they want to see it on their 55-inch color television that they spent two thousand dollars on. So I, I think you know once the infrastructure is in place, I, stream, I think streaming will become the dominant uh, delivery system by the probably the 2030s, 2040s. Bob Bowlesby, who is 67, won't be around then, but it will have been on his watch that the Big 12 started down the streaming path. Change is hard. It's a, it's a migration. People my age, you know, some of them are technology challenged, and, and this, is a, this is a different thing. But do I think we're on the right side of technology? Yes, I, I don't have any hesitation in, think, in believing that. After this break, we'll catch up with the Stars College beat writers, starting with Missouri's Suichi Tirada. The Tigers play host to Tennessee on Saturday and find out how two teams with 5-5 five and five records seem completely different. Big O' Tires is rolling out Black Friday deals now through December 8th. Get limited-time Black Friday savings on oil changes, brakes, car batteries, and more. Plus, save up to $190 on select Michelin and BF Goodrich tires when you use your Big O' Tires card. With no interest financing for 12 full months OAC. Don't miss Black Friday deals happening now through December 8th, only at Big O' Tires. For your nearest participating location, go to BigOtires.com. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. I got Suichi Tirada, who covers the Missouri Tigers for the Star here. And Suichi, it's it's usually not a good sign when the football coach is starting to defend his record in a weekly press conference. But that was the case. That was the case this week with Barry Odom. He was rolling out his his resume to in defense of I guess you know to respond to some of the critics uh, that have um, you know that have dogged him here in the last few weeks with the with the record that's now fallen to five and five as the Tigers take on Tennessee at home uh, Saturday night 630 kick what what did you make of the press conference and and uh, what how did how did how did Barry do uh, in defending his job 
the thing that kind of stood out to me was that he mentioned his record, which is 24 and 24 with two games left to go uh, in this season and everything. And 24 and 24, I mean, that is, I mean, that's kind of the definition of mediocrity. But he pointed out that it was the most wins since War and Powers, and I want to say, I believe, like the 50s, 60s, 70s era. Um, so one that kind of showed me um, that historically speaking this Missouri program isn't exactly known as one as being a powerhouse. And two that, I mean, you look at the records and everything, even Gary Pinkle had a worse record through um, four years as a, uh, the Barry Odom, which is kind of eye opening considering he's the all time winning his coach and everything. But I think Barry made a couple of good points in terms of, I mean, the off field stuff between graduation rates and GPA and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that as an athletic department, you look for as a fan, maybe not more so, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, kind of shocking that one year after he receives an extension makes one to three million dollars a year that we are talking about barry odom's job security which is unfathomable considering where we were at four games ago but i think that's the reality of the situation now i know jim Sturt gave out a statement and everything um about barry and and both barry and jim didn't really exactly say much i mean barry was asked if he sits down with jim if he has had any discussions about that going forward but he didn't really say anything so it was kind of a non-answer in that regard but he did mention that you know he had to point out his resume and everything as you mentioned so it's a very tumultuous time over here in Colombia uh where we're asking the head coach whether he'll have a job and after two games so we'll see how it goes I think this weekend will be huge for him going forward but it should be interesting what do you think he has to do to make to to maintain his position as the head coach? Does he have to win out? Can he split? I mean, I know you've only been covering the, the team for, for a month or so, but what's <laughs> what's the vibe that you get about his his future? And before you answer that, let me um, – uh, you you wrote a story earlier this week. Yeah, Warren Powers had won 31 games. He coached uh, the Tigers from 78 to 81 uh, in his, his – he was 31 and 17 in his first – first uh, four years. Odom is 24 and 24 with, as you say, the two games remaining. So, yeah, so answer the question, Suichi. What um, what do you think needs to happen for there to uh, to be some action at the end of the season? I think one beating Tennessee will go a long way. I mean, the thing is with the last two games of the season, you're 5-5, five and five, you're not really paying, playing for anything besides a bowl game. Obviously with the NCAA appeal pending, but at this point in the season when you're playing a 5-5 five and five Tennessee team and you're 5-5, five and five, it's really... I mean, this game, this game Saturday is really about who wants it more, and especially the Arkansas game on Friday, you know, Friday afternoon, Thanksgiving weekend. Like these last two games will kind of show if, honestly, if Barry still has the locker room. I mean, especially the Arkansas game. But looking at Tennessee, I mean, you're playing a team that is on the up and up. They've won four of the last five games. The complete opposite of you losing your last four games. So, in terms of the talent, in terms of everything, this should generally be an equal game but i think missouri has a little bit more play for in terms of barry barry um i do think if barry loses if mizzou loses these last two games i think then the talks about his job security will become a little bit legitimized but because of everything going on off the field in terms of the ncaa appeal i think it's a little bit more difficult to make that decision i mean hypothetically speaking like if the bowl or if the appeal ends up, the decision ends up dropping after the season is over and Missouri already qualifies for a good bowl game and then that decision rolls over into the next year and you fire Barry, that puts your next coaching 
higher under a lot of pressure on their and then you and then we're not even talking about the financials of losing bowl revenue sharing about the buyout for barry about all these other factors so i think uh, unless I, th- I think barry will be fine if he goes six and six I th- six and six i think his c will be much hotter next year based on how he does but i don't think he'll be fired but at five and seven i think at that point if you lose to arkansas that last game on friday the day after thanksgiving then i think Jim Sterk has a lot to think about. Is it that's kind of the vibe I'm getting right now. And obviously with seven and five, I mean, based on where you were at five and one, that's not the greatest ending, obviously. But that being able to win the last two games, if they do finish seven and five, will show that hey, maybe this team does. You know, Barry still does have not necessarily control of the program, but there is still a little bit of fight left in the program, which sure. I think is what fans are looking for at this point. I mean, four games is just is brutal and just. And I think it's the way they've gone about losing. I mean, losing to a top, top, you know, number 11 Florida, losing to a top 10 Georgia team on the road, those things are expected to happen when you're on Mizzou maybe. But the way they've lost, I mean, getting shut out, I mean, I know you don't have Kelly Bryant, but just the offenses look brutal the last four games. So I really do think it's more the way of these losses instead of just the losses. So there is a little bit more behind that as well. Yeah, 27 points in the last four games after not seemingly having any trouble scoring previous to that on the uh, at the home games and then the last few games of last season. It just seems to have happened suddenly for Missouri. I was a little surprised to see them as a favorite. They're a four-point favorite in the consensus of Vegas line this weekend against the Volunteers. So my guess is you're right. I think 0-2, it becomes, um, you know, he might need asbestos pants uh, coming back from, from Arkansas uh, with, the, with the seat being so hot. But I think anything better than 0-2, 2-0, 1-1, I think Missouri keeps Barry Odom and, and maybe, maybe assistant coaches, maybe has to shake up the staff a little bit for – uh, you know, for to satisfy the fan base, I know even if it's if it's a six and six or seven and five record, there will be a, a percentage of the fan base that isn't happy about what has happened this season and doesn't think Barry Odom is the coach going forward. But I would always caution fans about you know revolving door issues uh, at schools. You, if you if you if, if you know, if you could, if you constantly change coaches, then it, it's very difficult to get any consistency in the program, and um, and 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 then you always seems to, you always seem to be starting over. Look at this week's opponent as an example. Tennessee, since Phil Fulmer has, I think they've had this is their fourth coach, and they still don't know if they have it have it right yet. So we'll see. You, I, I agree with you too, Suichi, that this this Tennessee game is huge for. For Barry Odom, let's let's switch uh, let, let, let's switch the balls and, and uh, go to the hardwood. Missouri will be in Kansas City Monday and Tuesday night for the Hall of Fame Classic. It used to be known as the CBE Classic because it's it was associated with the college basketball experience, which is adjacent to the Sprint Center. Uh, it's uh, it's a tournament that's in conjunction with the College Basketball Hall of Fame class that'll be introduced on on Sunday here in Kansas City. But it's a good field. Missouri takes on Butler on Monday night and then then plays either Stanford or Oklahoma on Tuesday. So it's a high-profile field. Uh, Missouri's only loss so far this year is the overtime loss to Xavier. They, they've overwhelmed three other opponents. Is Missouri playing as well as they could be playing heading into this thing? Yeah, I think ideally, if you're a Missouri fan, you're going to want to be 5-0. and But I think that Xavier game, I mean, we talked about it last week, it wasn't I mean, a, a ranked road loss. Uh, I mean, a road loss to a ranked team 
early, this early in the season is, is not anything to write home about, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they've played well. I think the three-point shot is especially concerning. I mean, they were they shot 18% Wednesday night, which was absolutely brutal if you're a Missouri fan, just offensively. Um, Conzo Martin seems to think that it'll be fine. I mean, in practice, supposedly, those shots are going in, and he did mention that the three-point line moving back to the international distance is probably playing a little bit of a factor into it. But, yeah, I mean, defensively, Ken Palm, their adjusted defensive efficiency is number seven in the nation. They've done an incredible job on that side of the floor. I mean, they haven't allowed more than 63 points this season to any team, which, yeah, sure, you're not playing exactly, you know, the Stanfords or even the Oklahomas or the Bullers of the world yet besides Xavier, but that that that's incredible so far um and so i think defensively this team is really kind of forming its identity i know Conzo mentioned on wednesday night after the game that this isn't the team the, the team still needs to grow in terms of finding that defensive identity but he believes they're well on their way there and i think that's a great sign to look for if you're a missouri fan um offensively like i mentioned i mean it's still kind of a grind i think they had their best performance on that end of the floor on Monday against Wofford when they were actually hitting threes and they made Jeremiah Tillman's job a lot easier. And then the driving lanes are suddenly open just because you're able to hit the jump shots. Um, so it, <laughs> it's it's a wonder what that you know being what being able to space the floor those for this team but i think there are a lot of positives to look forward at to look to look at i mean mark smith has looked great jeremiah tillman besides wednesday has looked amazing drew smith is kind of a do-it-all guard xavier pinston is still as flashy as ever so there, there are a lot of good pieces going forward and i think by conference season if they're able to hit those jump shots if they're able to smooth out the offensive end a little bit they'll be they'll be looking at competing for an NCAA tournament bid, which is, uh, I know, what a lot of Missouri fans are hoping for. Very good. All right, Suichi, I look forward to seeing you in Kansas City on Monday for the tournament. Hey, when we come back, we'll talk Kansas State with Kellis Robinette. (laughs) Kellis Robinette covers Kansas State, and it's a busy weekend heading into next week for the Wildcats. Football game in Lubbock basketball tournament in Fort Myers, Florida. Let's start with football, Kellis. Man, that was um, – you talk about a team that's had some highs and lows this season. Uh, the, the team that was uh, that was on top of the world after beating Oklahoma has to be in the opposite place after losing to West Virginia last week. What's been the fallout from the West Virginia loss? Well, it's really been fascinating. Like you said, if you go back to the beginning of the season and ask people how – Kansas State would get to six wins at this point of the season. I bet very few of them would have said, well, they'll beat Mississippi State and Oklahoma, but then lose at home to West Virginia. Um, things have played out a little bit differently than it looked like it would on paper. And, you know, moving on from a loss not a lot of people expected has been interesting. It's a position Kansas State hasn't been in very often before. Uh, go back to the days of Bill Snyder, his mantra might as well have been beat the teams you're supposed to beat and then kind of take your chances against everybody else. They very rarely lost to favorites uh they were 14 point home favorites last week and it's been oh boy going all the way back to the early 2000s since they they lost a game at home against uh, a team that had a losing record at the time they played so that just goes to show um how different of a thing it's been but i think kansas state players uh you know are kind of trying to spin it forward as best they can they, they knew they let one go and get away from them that they probably should win but at the same time new coaching staff um, new philosophies a lot of them are chalking it up to a learning experience and hoping that they can still turn things around, win one in 
in Lubbock this weekend and still had a pretty good season. Yep. Hey, so it seems to me that teams that uh, are are forcing the Wildcats to beat them via Skylar Thompson's arm are having some success uh, with that uh, with that practice. Am, am I right about that? Definitely. Um, that's exactly what Texas did two weeks ago against Kansas State. They came out and said, you know what, Wildcats, if you're going to beat us, it's going to have to be through the air because we're going to throw a lot of run blitzes at you. We're going to load the box. And we're not going to let you just eat up clock and win the way that Chris Kleiman did at North Dakota State. And, you know, there were times in that game where they actually did have success throwing the ball. They got out to a nice early lead but then couldn't sustain it. And when they couldn't turn to that running game to, to shorten the clock and, and get out of there – um, Texas came back, and it was the same way last week against West Virginia. They come out and have a 68-yard touchdown pass in the very first play of the game. Everybody kind of relaxes a little bit, thinks they're going to roll. Um, not so easy because West Virginia, they can stop the run. That's one of the things they're good at. They kind of mirrored uh, the defense Texas played against them. And then it worked two weeks in a row. Um, they've not only shut down Kansas State running backs, they've really clogged up the middle of the field so Skyler Thompson can't take off on quarterback draws and keepers the way he did so well against Oklahoma and Kansas. So that's something that this offense is going to have to figure out how to get around because um, Texas and Iowa State both played three-man defensive fronts the same way West Virginia and Texas did. And if I were their defensive coordinators, I would certainly say let's try and copy that, uh, that strategy as best we can until Kansas State proves that they can beat it. Absolutely. Well, Look, the Wildcats are bowl eligible. It's just a matter now of sorting out where where they end up in the postseason. I know you wrote about that earlier this week, and we'll we'll talk about that in the in the coming weeks as um, you know as the record the final record comes into into focus. Nobody's going to know until after the you know, after the, the 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 conference championship games are played. That's when it that's when it all falls into place. But let's switch it to to, to college uh, basketball, Kellis. Uh, the Wildcats are heading off to. Heading off to Fort Myers, Florida to play in a four-team event, be the best competition they have played all year. And I imagine uh, on Bruce Weber's agenda is better first halves for these Wildcats. What What's going on uh, in the first half of these games? It is one of the crazier things I've ever seen. I don't know if it's just the team can't get excited in front of small crowds against these crummy opponents or what, but they have been absolutely abysmal in the first half. Um, their game against Arkansas Pine Bluff last week, uh, the score was tied 27-27 at halftime, which you would say, boy, uh, tied at halftime against Arkansas Pine Bluff, one of the worst teams in all college basketball. That sounds horrible. That's true, but it's also the first time they haven't trailed at halftime in the game all season. They they barely scored 20 points uh, in their opener against North Dakota State and trailed. They scored 16 points their first game against UNLV and trailed. Same score against Monmouth. They actually trailed by nine at halftime against Monmouth, the team that KU beat by 50-plus. So it's very weird. They found a way to come out in the second half, get more downhill, score um, within three-point range, and and win when they had to. But, yeah, you you don't want to see that from the – from the first half, Bruce Weber seemed perplexed about that. He even just after one game said, I have no idea. Don't even ask me about it. So, you know, I guess the hope would be that now that you go off to a neutral site, might have some more energy playing a team with actual name recognition like Pittsburgh. Maybe that sparks them. Um, I guess we'll find out. Right. Who's on the other side of that bracket? It's uh, Bradley or Northwestern. Okay. Look, the, the Wildcats are winning the games. They're they're playing well in the second half. We should say that. And and if the games had just un, unfolded in opposite ways, right? They play the second half first and have big halftime leads, and then and then play them evenly in the second half. 
we'd have a different conversation. But uh, they, they've played out the way that they have, and it's been, um, you know, it, it, I, can, I can see where Bruce Weber would be just a little perplexed by, by the way the games have, uh, have started for him. So, all right, Kellis, listen, it's great catching up with you. Safe travels this weekend. And when we come back, we'll hear from Jesse Newell on Kansas. <laughs> KU visits Iowa State on Saturday. The Jayhawks are a 24-point underdog in this game. There was a time when Kansas fans looked at the schedule, saw Iowa State there, and said, hey, there's an opportunity for a victory. That's not where the programs are right now. It's not where they've been, really, for the last few years with Matt Campbell at Iowa State and, and Kansas improved, but but not, you know, not there yet. And so Kansas goes up, um, goes up to Ames. I suspect it'll be cold. I haven't looked at the weather, uh, but it usually is in November in Ames. What, uh, what, what, what can KU expect on, on Saturday? Well, I have good news for you. I've heard the weather is not supposed to be that cold in Ames, at least oh, Ames-wise. I heard something in the 40s. So, uh, man, if you can sign up for that in late November in Ames, Iowa, you uh, take it every single day there'll of be, the week. There'll be sunbathing on Saturday there. Yeah, uh, those fans, uh, that might just be – that might be short sleeves for them. You know what I mean? Those fans are tough, <laughs> right. and they support they their team. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking at right now, 44 degrees, partly cloudy. I mean – Man, that's that you told me to talk about paradise. That's that's paradise for late November yep, in Ames, Iowa. Uh, for Kansas, the season has just sort of changed and shifted the last couple of weeks because we know that this Kansas team's a little bit shorthanded when it comes to the roster. Les Miles knew that coming in, but yet they had enough skill position talent on the offensive end where they were really able to make up for a lot of um, the negative things that they have just because they were outscoring people and they scored 48 points against Texas, barely lost that game. They scored, uh, you know, 37 points against Texas tech. So, uh, for Kansas for a couple weeks, when Brent Dearman was promoted offensive coordinator, you think, Hey, you know, there's some flaws here. The program still isn't where you want it to be personnel wise. And they still are building this thing through recruiting. But Hey, in the meantime, you can win some games. If you score 40 points a game in the big 12, you give yourself a chance. And, Last two weeks has just not turned out that way. Uh, K-State, KU had three points before the final possession. And then Oklahoma State, KU had no points before the fourth quarter when they were able to finally get 13 on the board. So I wrote about it earlier this week, Blair. Um, sort of interesting kind of inside the walls thing going on where uh, obviously Brent Dearman's an RPO guy, a spread guy. But in crucial situations against Oklahoma State, we saw KU go to heavy personnel, which is two running backs, two tight ends, playing a lot of fullback. Uh, and that historically has been less miles sort of offensive style. So uh, it's sort of interesting after you do so well and it gets a couple big 12 opponents and then have one poor effort against Kansas state. It sure seems like this uh, offense is now being co-run instead of just simply run by an offensive coordinator who had some early success in his first couple games as an offensive coordinator. So uh, we'll see what happens with Kansas. I think if the offense looks like it has the last couple games, then KU really has no hope. But um, if you're looking at this big picture like you did, Blair, the fact that Iowa State is 24 points better than Kansas at home or the odds makers say that, I think that has more to do with Matt Campbell than anything else. I mean, he really has elevated that program. And this offseason, sort of like last offseason, I think he gets to pick whatever place he wants to coach at in college football if he decides he wants to leave Ames. But they seem to love him there, and he's done a great job of elevating that program, has a young team, and uh, they really have things rolling. And I think that's a big credit to if you get the right coach in there, uh, amazing things are possible. And Iowa State is definitely seeing the fruits of that. Okay, Jesse, great talking to you. That'll do it for another week of Sports BKC, the Stars Daily Sports Podcast presented by Big O Tires. 
Mega thanks to producers Leah Becerra and Derek Donovan for putting together the shows. Links to the streaming story and the college stories discussed can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. And if you're so inclined, take a moment to offer a rate and review. Those help, and they give us ideas for future episodes. And hey, how about next week? After the college football weekend, we'll have all three schools and high-profile basketball tournaments, including Mizzou in Kansas City, and a week of talking about the Chiefs and Raiders. And somehow, we'll squeeze in some turkey next week. I hope you'll join us throughout the week on Sports Beat KC.